0: Welcome back to another podcast episode of First Online with Friends, There's No Place Like Art. This past week, I took the great leap and traveled to New York City to see live theater with an audience, masked and vaccinated, twice, I did this twice, first to see Morning Sun, and bask in the stellar performances of Edie Falco, my former high school student, Blair Brand and Marine Ireland. Oh gosh, it was a story of three unremarkably remarkable women performed with sublime nuance. Don't miss it. Almost 13, is a one-woman show written by my friend and playwright and director, Joan Kane, And she delivered this compelling life story of a little girl who finds her voice and in turn heals our hearts. Just wonderful. You know, going to see these plays reminded me once again of the power of the arts. I mean, where else can you sit in a dark space, suspend your belief, and engage in 90-plus minutes of sheer ecstasy. <sighs> Goosebumps. My guest today, playwright Connie Ketfinger and co-author Dan Carter of the upcoming production of Live from the Bardo, My Dinner with Mary, value the power of the page. Amidst the traumas of shutting down due to COVID and trying to figure out how to move the needle forward with their art, both Connie and Dan took some bold steps to address this conundrum. (laughs) Now what? (laughs) Welcome, Connie and Dan. Hi, Fran. How are you?
1: Hi, Fran. It's great to be with you.
0: You know, Connie, you mentioned to me that writing plays became your way of communicating with all life from the ordinary people to the sublime consciousness all of which seem to operate on the same plane for you you know you saw it you see writing as human life forms we can conform reform or deform to the energetic stimulus around us but when we perform we are able to perfect the form, taking it to a higher creative state. Why is art so important to the human experience? Well, I think that art
2: is our state of being. It's our natural birthright because we're created and we're creative. And when we're creative, we step into that world about performing, When you're in performance, you have to pay attention to the things that are happening around you, the scene, the other people in the band, the other people in the dance. And you also have to concentrate on your own particular part. And when you balance that, when you balance the concentration and the attention, you're in the present moment. And that is something that yogis strive for, people strive for their whole life. Because I think that's when you're in the God moment, you're in the divine moment, and you become your divine self. And uh, I sought for many, many years to understand this because I wondered how people teach art. How do you teach art? Like, I mean, come on, draw a tree. Well, are you telling me this is less of a tree than what you see? You know what I mean? So it's very hard to teach art. And I, I think when you talk about it being all part of my life, well, I'll give you a little background info. I was five years old and I was allergic to everything. Like I, we had those allergy shots when I was little and I was allergic to 48 out of 52 shots. I wasn't allowed to play with this. I wasn't allowed to play with that. And I would sit in my mother's dining room on the casement window and stare out at my sister. So I always had a different perspective. I had. The proscenium there so i my vision had always been in front of the stage so that's how i, I think i developed that is just as a human being and then i never got away from it and then my sister was an artist my uncle was a famous artist my other uncle my other cousin was a, a famous piano player so i mean i was always entrenched in art in my family so I don't know. I, I I think it's very important. I think it's a very natural, natural, natural part of our evolution.
0: Yeah, I can I can agree with that being a theater teacher 30 years in high school. And I just believed, you know, K through 12, every single kid had that spark, had that something special. And no matter where they They went after high school. I hear from so many students how even if they went on to be some CEO of a company, they got that self-confidence. They got that human experience of working together like a team, you know, and speaking like a team. uh, Dan, you're part of this team.
1: (laughs) Yep. Art is just so... Much a part of who we are. I heard somebody once say that if the apocalypse came, the first thing we do is figure out how to get water, and the next thing we do is figure out how to get food, and the next thing is we take shelter, and the next thing is we'd make art. <laughs> we'd sing, we'd dance, we'd paint on the cave walls, we'd do whatever we needed to do. That's how high up on the list it is.
0: And how did you find your path, the arc of
1: your journey? I was born on a soybean and cotton farm in rural Arkansas. We moved because my mother was very ill. So we moved to a city and I was raised in Northern Illinois and I was exposed to a good public education. In the fifties, public education was still pretty good. I would say that the biggest influences on me were education and art and then travel. Those are the things that expanded my perceptions beyond what was available to me as a little kid on a farm now I I always had a great imagination and I always had vivid dreams every night I I, I've always been a dreamer and, and and when I was a kid a lot of those were nightmares and I had to come to terms with that so I think all those things are interrelated
0: how did you end up to be where you are today
1: I won the lottery. I, uh, as a junior in high school, uh, I had done some plays and I'd taken a theater class, but mostly I was just showing off. I thought I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. All of the seniors in my high school went to, were chosen to go to a a field day at a a local private college. And they drew names out of a hat for the juniors. And I was one of the ones who had my name drawn out of a hat. I wouldn't have been chosen, (laughs) but I had my name drawn out of a hat when I went. And a man named Knox Fowler was giving a class called the Theater of the Absurd. And I thought, well, that sounds good. Now, Knox Fowler is the father of Chris Fowler, who is the co-host of uh, College Football Today. He's very famous in college football circles. And his father was very charismatic. And he read from all this absurdist drama, which was brand new to me, Beckett, Ionesco, and he would he would read sections from it was a 90 minute class and that 90 minutes changed my life i knew i have to do i have to be involved in this world somehow and i again i didn't even know exactly what that world was but it had been blown open and i realized that such a world was did exist and i needed to find out more about it
0: oh my god you literally did win a lottery
1: yeah yeah
0: isn't that amazing how these things can just these instances can just turn our whole world around? How did your worlds interconnect? Well, I didn't really
1: know
2: Dan except for being one of my superiors as uh the head of the drama department at Penn State. We didn't cross paths there. I went to Penn State, and this is interesting. My very first advisor was Knox Fowler, who I fell in love with. I know, these paths keep crossing. I left Penn State in 1980, and Dan came along later, but after I got my master's, I decided to start teaching, and I was teaching at a branch campus at Penn State, and another faculty member asked me to do a team course with him, and we had to get it approved. So I knew Dan from that, remotely. I knew what he was about. And my colleague said, oh, he's he's amazing. Yeah, he'll approve this because he understands the value of what we're doing. And I said, okay, cool. And I didn't hear or see anything about Dan until most recently. It's been over a year now, but he had mentioned something on Facebook to me. We, we were just Facebook friends. I'd love to put out not bizarre, but I like to put up thought-provoking lines. And I put, yes, all the world is a stage and life is the intermission. And that's why people get so afraid of life because they don't have their lines. So it's like the intermission is, is life. All the world's a stage. Life is a play, and but the intermission comes into play. We don't have our lines, so we're nervous about what... So Dan had said something about that. And I saw that he was retired. So I went on the back burner on Facebook and said, hey, congratulations. Are you still directing? Just like out of the blue. And I didn't really know him. And he wrote back and he said, sure, what do you have in mind? (laughs) So I sent him the play and he read it. And it was in a very short time within the same day. He wrote back and said, I like this play. I see something. I'll let you take it from there.
1: I said, you know, right now, it's very straightforward. I sense an absurdist track running underneath it. And if you're interested in bringing that out, then I think I'm your guy. And she said, oh, that's amazing. That's what I want to do. And so we started working then. And and I was doing dramaturgical work, really, which is what a director of a first-time production does. And I would ask her questions and I would make suggestions and some of them, she resonated with her. And then we, it started taking on a life of its own after that. And it's, it's changed. I would say it's changed a lot since the first text that I was sent. It's much more complex now. And I think much more evocative and, and for me, much more exciting just because it's, it has all these different levels to it now, which were there in the undercurrent before.
0: So where was the germ, the essence of this idea of of writing a play called Live from the Bardo, My Dinner with Mary?
2: Okay, so the play actually, it was uh, 2018, Mary Tierney, Mary... Ellen, Ashley, and a bunch of us were in Italy having lunch. Anytime anybody knew would come to the city, we would always have a ladies' lunch. And so we got them together, and there was a new girl from Greece and somebody else from California. So we had a lunch. I said, okay, we get some new people. Let's bring them in. It was very funny because that morning I was talking to somebody, and they had said that they wanted to do a play, a stage version of my dinner with Andre. And... They didn't get the rights to it and it didn't work out. So I was just joking around, sipping my coffee saying, well, who needs my dinner with Andre? I'll just write my dinner with Mary. Cause I was with Mary Tierney and Mary Ellen Ashley. And they said, yeah, yeah, you do that. You do that. I never thought twice about it. And I went home and later that night I had 17 pages on my computer. My Dinner with Mary. I said, wow. And I called Mary, Mary Tierney and I said, I, I started your play. And she said, bring it to class tomorrow. Bring it to class. Because she runs a workshop at Theater for the New City. So I brought it to class and I brought Mary Ellen Ashley with me. And people loved it. And they wanted more. And I'm like, OK, so I'll see what happens. Thursday comes around. I had 34 pages. And so it just started to grow. And it was a very straightforward farce, I would say, a little heavy on the side because it was dealing with uh, memories, and I, and I really liked how it was looping itself back and forth and back and forth. But I knew that there was something missing. Knowing now, Dan didn't know me, and he doesn't didn't know my work, but I'm known for. This esoteric theater. I always have been an avant garde in the artist. In 2019, earlier that year, I I mean, earlier that year in 2018, I did a play about Josie in the bardo. So I was always fascinating with what's behind the scenes of the scene, like what's behind the scenes of life. And I've always felt like the reason we do theater is. A way to get us in touch with what's really happening in our lives, in the big picture. To know the truth, seek the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I've always wanted to know that. I knew it had something to do with art, and I had always been searching for that. Well, when Dan said that to me about the absurdist, I said, seriously? You don't even know me. Oh, my God. And so I tell the rest of the team, and they're like, yeah, this is like awesome. This is you it blew my mind. I can't tell you what happened during the course of, we decided to start working on the script every Saturday and we did some workshop stuff. And then all of a sudden I said to Dan, I think the reason it was the baseline stories, two women getting together after many years of being apart and they're both actresses and they decide that they're going to create a work of art from their lives. One day I said to him, maybe the reason they're getting together is because mary is dying and he said okay write the scene and so i wrote the scene and we brought it into rehearsal and sure enough it was beautiful it was beautiful but then all of a sudden dan said what if mary Tierney's mary ellen ashley's already dead and i said wow, this is very cool. I said, so you're talking like, you know, the angel from heaven or whatever. And then it hit me, and I really do believe this. I might be crazy, but I think behind the scenes is another theater. I think that behind the scenes of life is the, which which we're calling in this play, the Bardo Theater. The Bardo is the Tibetan Book of the Dead idea of a waiting place. The Christian term for that is purgatory. So it's a place in between life. And what you can do, what what I wrote in the first Bardo play is you have to go in and have an understanding with your higher self of what you want to do. Do you want to continue on this path and just jump on another train and jump into another life and stay at the same level? Or do you want to go a little higher? Do you want to understand things more and maybe be instrumental in the rest of the world at large and the life? And in the Bardo theater is where they write the scenes for real life. And these scenes for real life are created by stellar stars. And so Mary Ellen Ashley goes into the Bardo And she realizes there's a theater there. And she's like, whoa, I want to work. This is heaven. I can work the rest of my life forever, you know, in in this theater for eternity. So they said to her, "Okay, but you have to be able to understand and be compassionate and really feel. So you have to have a test. And your test is to bring your friend in. You can't get in by yourself. It's a two-hander. You're coming in with your friend. And so she says, well, okay, so she takes on the challenge and she's about ready to do this. And we were in the script. It was really wild because we were in and out of the script and in and out of the play and in and out of reality. And we, you know, it was really fun to play around in those realities. And the funny thing was we kept trying to find a voice for the higher self, the voice of God, you know, the angel, whatever. And it was really straining, you know, like most angel voices. It's like, who is this? You know, and Mary Ellen was trying things. And the wild part is Dan says to me, what if the voice comes from the portraits? And I lost it. I said, wow, wow. Of course it would come from the portraits because it comes from art. And art is the inspiration for the higher self. It blew me away, and I said,
0: "Dan, you got to write this with me, man. Let's let's do it together." Uh, You know how did that work out? Uh, There's a couple of things you said so much here, Connie. What you're talking about this purgatory is also a metaphor for what we are living in presently with COVID, and this idea of finding that this higher art in ourselves. And I've I've talked before about how this pandemic has really worked positively for so many artists uh, because it's given us time to stop and to pause and to reflect about where do I want to go from here? And this is what your play is doing. Dan, how did you get it there? How do you write collaboratively? I don't get it.
1: Well, we have written separately. We still haven't been in a room face-to-face together. In the same, so so mostly we have done it in rooms. All right, I will write a scene that does this, and then send it back and forth to say, "Well, I like this. What about this? This isn't clear, etc." And at first, I was resistant to the idea of co-writing. Connie was very generous early on, saying, "Oh, you need to be the co-author in this," and I said. No, I'm really just doing what a director does with a new show. At a certain point, I said, we can revisit it down the road. And at a certain point, it became clear that I I was. And I thought, well, it's it's kind of not fair to Connie to be changing this piece so much and still (laughs) giving her... (laughs) all the responsibility for it. So at a certain point, responding to her generosity, we did decide that I would be listed as co-author as well. And we've mostly written separately, but in conjunction with each other, say, I think it needs to go here. I'm going to write this scene. And then we talk about it. Very, I would say very little if we just gone off and done and said, hey, an idea came to me. What do you think about this? Occasionally, just because it would be late at night or something, but mostly it was like, the plan for the day
0: one of the hardest things i think for playwrights and as an actor i can appreciate this is it's it's a collaboration and at the point the two of you have to let it go and let the actors have their part how did that happen for you
1: well, I would say we're still in the process of that right now. It's happening. You know, we're, we've only had read-throughs and some Zoom rehearsals, that sort of thing, mostly to to test. And as you suggest, I was an actor, and I have a pretty good sense of what dialogue works and what doesn't and how it would work coming out of my mouth. But ultimately, it's going to have to come out of the mouths of these two actors, and until it actually does, you don't know if it sounds like them or not if the words fit together a certain way. So, and then we've rewritten some things saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're still in that process. And I would say we'll, there will be more of that once we get involved in uh, face-to-face rehearsals.
0: All right, so what's down the road here towards the end of our little conversation? Where to next? We're still in COVID land, but the theater is opening up and it does work. I can attest to that as an audience member. So that really excites me. And I want to learn, where are you taking this? What are the next steps? And how can people come to see this?
1: Well, the very next step is an off-off-Broadway production at the Theatre for the New City for a couple of weeks in January. And we will be doing that as a kind of a bare-bones, poor theatre production of it, to really do a shakedown cruise for the script itself and find out from the audience where there are holes, what's unnecessarily redundant, what questions they have that are provocative and good questions, and what questions do they have that are just confusing and unsettling. So it'll be a kind of a shakedown cruise for the actual text itself. And then after that, we hope that it will be done again. But it's too premature to know exactly what those plans will be. But we hope that uh, once we've had a chance to interact with some audiences and they've had a chance to experience the show, that we will then see if we can expand the production and and do more with the idea of the portraits. There are additional actors in the play right now who play, uh, the play is set in a fantasy version of the Players Club on Gramercy Park uh, because Mary is dying. So she's imagining this on her deathbed in sort of a fever dream. It's expressionistic that way. And so the portraits on the walls are some of the portraits in the The theater: Jose Ferrer, Joseph Jefferson, Helen Hayes, Catherine Hepburn.
0: One of the things that it struck me when I got to read your script reminded me of Follies. You know, those old vaudeville stars coming back and sharing <laughs> their wisdom, their losses, their regrets. I, it's such a beautiful, beautiful play. Before we close, what do you think is the major dramatic question that happens in your play? I'll leave it up to you. What's the major dramatic question? What is the urgency of this happening today unlike any other day? Dan,
1: I think, you know, Connie is the deeper thinker about these. She's been exploring these themes for a long time. And I've been involved, as I say, in helping shape the play and, and helping flesh out some of those ideas. But it seems to me that we... I mean, I used to ask actors the question, which is more important, imagination or observation? And the answer is both. (laughs) Neither is more important. You know, those are the things we have to work with, observation and imagination. And so if you're making art from your own life, whether it's your imagination or your observation, that's when I think Connie would say the two things get incredibly intertwined. And that was the essence, the spark of the play. That brought me into it.
0: Well, the fact that they're both named Mary, that got me thinking about, is Mary the ego, the id? Very Freudian, uh, what's happening in the play. And it's not an intellectual play. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot of ideas that are going on. It was like swirling around in my head when I read the script, and I can't wait to see it. And it was just... So vivid for me. How'd you do that? <laughs> well, I think
2: we let it happen. I I've been writing for forty years. Every time I get one of these works, it's just when it happens. When when the baby's ready to be born, it's a very natural process. But I think with COVID, you know, we didn't set out to write a COVID play for sure. But that's the big question. What if I die tomorrow? Why should I bother with today? And that's the same thing that an actor goes through. How can an actor, you know, we call actors be schizophrenic because they know the ending, but yet they have to be on the moment. That's the same with life. We have to be on the moment. I remember my mom was dying. My daughter was graduating from college. And you just sat there and said, okay, so I'm happy now. I got to be happy. I got to be happy. I got to be in this moment. I got to be in this moment, not
0: the next moment. Yeah, that's the big question. What kind of final message do you want to have people understand about your play, about the theater, you know, kind of circling back to our original question about how the arts are so important to our human experience?
2: Well, the Greeks believed that theater was threefold, to entertain, to educate, and exalt the human spirit. And if we're going to exalt the human spirit, I think we're going to have to understand
0: that we can only do that through love. And we're going to close right with that. Your fundraising for the production. I'll put that link on the blog so people can learn more about you and your plays. Thank you, Dan and Connie, for coming and sharing
1: your wonderful play with thanks. Fran, thanks for facilitating this. It was a wonderful conversation. Great to spend time with you.
2: Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by Mark Hair Media and recorded at WeChief Studio Productions.